0: Good morning, morning. buenos dias, welcome to East Shore Unitarian Church in Bellevue, whether you are here in person in the sanctuary or at home on Zoom, we welcome you. Thank you for choosing to spend the next hour or so with us. Today is a very, very special service. We are honoring women warriors, poets, and our own warriors our own congregants who have dedicated their lives to answering the call of love. I'll begin my remarks by quoting Margaret Fuller. A new manifestation is at hand. A new hour is come. We would have every arbitrary barrier thrown down we would have every path laid open to woman as freely as to man. Were this done, we believe a divine energy would pervade nature to a degree unknown in the history of former ages. A new manifestation is at hand. A new hour has come. This morning we honor women, warriors, healers, pioneers, Women who are part of our history, who have shaped us, who have inspired us to answer the call of love, the call to justice. They left us a legacy of courage, dignity, and compassion. As we heard in this story for all ages, Clara Barton was a universalist and women's rights advocate, a passionate advocate for relief work. She served, no matter whom. She went beyond that border and made no distinction and served. She was the founder of the American Red Cross. And in a letter to her friend Franny in 1870, she wrote, I can never see a poor mutilated wreck blown to pieces with powder and lead without wondering if visions of such an end ever flitted before his mother's mind. Women should certainly have some voice in the matter of war, either affirmative or negative, and the fact that she has not this should not be made the ground on which to deprive her of other privileges. She shan't say there be no war and she shan't take any part of it, When there is one, and because she don't take part in war, she must not vote. And because she can't vote, she has no voice in her government. And because she has no voice in her government, she isn't a citizen. And because she isn't a citizen, she has no rights. And because she has no rights, she must submit to wrongs. And because she submits to wrongs, she isn't anybody and what does she know about war and because she don't know anything about it she mustn't say or do anything about it and we know that she certainly said and did a lot this is the image of margaret fuller born in 1810, raised a Unitarian. This was a time when women could not attend institutions of higher learning. Despite being denied the educational opportunities enjoyed by men, she persevered in her education in her own way. She made her own way. She refused to accept the limited role of women in American society and was a pioneer on issues of women's rights. She was a member of the Transcendentalist Circle, a teacher and editor and contributor to The Dial, the famous Transcendentalist Journal. In 1843, she published the Great Lawsuit, Man vs. Men, Women versus Women, in which she argued that Manhood and womenhood are tra- transcendent ideals that we all contain both masculine and feminine qualities. But because men have greater access to self-development, women were prevented from accessing those means and she urged this to be corrected for the benefit of all humanity. She was denied entrance to Harvard Divinity School, and in response, she created her own spaces where women could engage in discussions, conversations about theology, education, ethics, and more, using sometimes the same books that were assigned at Harvard Divinity School. Fuller was sometimes criticized by some of the women participating in these discussions for avoiding the topic of slavery. Eventually, Fuller changed her mind about this, and in her writings, she called this country's treatment of indigenous and black people a betrayal of Americans' democratic ideals. In 1845, Fuller published, Women of the 19th Century, consider the loftiest and most commanding assertion yet made of the right of women to be regarded and treated as an independent Intelligent, rational being entitled to an equal voice in framing and modifying the laws that she's required to obey and in controlling and disposing of the property she has inherited or aided to acquire. Olympia Brown. Olympia Brown received her call to the ministry and when she applied to several seminaries, was rejected again and again. In 1861, she was admitted to the Theological School of St. Lawrence University, even though its president asserted that he did not believe that women should be ministers. (laughs) Hello, Mr. President. So, after graduation, she faced yet... Another obstacle, she faced opposition to her ordination by the school, by the wives of the professors, and she had to appeal to the Northern Universalist Association. And finally, in 1863, Olympia Brown became the first woman to be ordained as a minister in the Universalist Church. And before I show the picture of my great aunt Adriana, I would be remiss if I didn't mention someone who was also on the battlefield, someone who was also a warrior. Sojourner Truth. In 1827, she walked away by daylight from her master when he failed to uphold the New York anti-slavery law. In 1843, after experiencing a religious conversion and a call to ministry, she named herself Sojourner Truth and became an itinerant preacher. She became part of the anti-slavery movement and the women's rights movement. At the 1851 Women's Rights Convention, Sojourner Truth delivered her famous speech. Ain't I a woman? And I'll quote from that. Just a little excerpt. The man over there says that women need to be helped into carriages and lifted over ditches and to have the best place everywhere. Nobody ever helps me into carriages or over mud puddles or gives me any best place and ain't I a woman? Look at me. Look at my arms. I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns, and no man could head me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it, and bear the lash as well. And ain't I a woman?" I have borne 13 children and seen most all sold off to slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I a woman? If the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. During the Civil War, Sojourner Truth helped recruit black troops for the Union Army. She continued to fight on behalf of women and African Americans until her death. As her biographer, Nell Irvin Painter, wrote, at a time when most Americans thought of slaves as male and women as white, truth embodied a fact that still bears repeating. Among the blacks are women. Among the women, there are Blacks. And yet, before we look at my aunt Adriana's picture, I want to mention another brave woman, Frances Ellen Harper. Frances... Ellen Watkins Harper was the first African-American woman to publish a short story. She was an abolitionist, a suffragist, and a reformer. She was born to free African-American parents and worked as a nursemaid and seamstress for a white family that owned a bookshop. Her love for books blossomed as she spent any free time she had in the shop. And by age 21, she wrote her first small volume of poetry called Forest Leaves. When she was 26 years old, she became the first woman instructor at Union Seminary, a school for free African Americans in Ohio. And when Maryland passed a law stating that free African Americans living in the North were no longer allowed to enter the state of Maryland, she decided to devote all of her efforts to the anti-slavery cause. Harper began writing poetry for anti-slavery newspapers, focusing on issues of racism, feminism, and classism. For eight years, she traveled across the United States and Canada as a lecturer. She was committed to the struggle for women's rights and the temperance movement. In 1866, Harper spoke at the National Women's Rights Convention in New York. Her famous speech entitled, We are all bound up together, urged her fellow attendees to include African-American women in their fight for suffrage. She emphasized that black women were facing the double burden of racism and sexism at the same time. Therefore, the fight for women's suffrage must include suffrage for African-Americans. And now... I present to you, my great-aunt. Speaking of brave women, my great-aunt Adriana had this picture taken in 1928 in northern Chile in her Red Cross uniform, and she was awarded that medal for lifetime service. And on that medal, there's an inscription that says it is for constancy constancy. The Red Cross in Chile was founded in 1903 by men, originally for the purpose of safeguarding private property. But it didn't take very long until the women created their own organization and incorporated volunteer nurses, and my aunt was one of the first to join Living in northern Chile in a small mining town prone to tragedies associated with the exploitation and unsafe working conditions of the mines in addition to regular earthquakes, she remained a Red Cross volunteer her entire life while working, raising her children, and always contributing to our family's well-being. And fast forward to the next slide. And this is my cousin, Sarah. This is her granddaughter, who is now the president of the Red Cross in the town where she lives. Having attained a university-level education, having raised a daughter as a single parent, and having survived the horrors of a dictatorship that lasted for almost two decades, she continues to serve the most vulnerable in her community just like her grandmother did before before her. So today, we honor them. We honor them and recognize their courage, their compassion, and I recognize in them the roots of my own call to the ministry that is so centered in social justice and so committed to serve as we honor Clara Barton, Margaret Fuller, Olympia Brown, Sojourner Truth, Frances Watkins, and our own ancestors, and our own congregational members being celebrated and honored today. Let us feel connected to all these brave women whose passion for education, human rights, and their hope comes through, through time through the distance, and comes alive in these gatherings. I hope it comes through in all of the work that we do together until we heal the world, until all of us are free, until the battlefields are empty. I hope that you too feel connected to them by being part of the larger Unitarian Universalist movement that is now calling us all to respond to the call to defend reproductive rights and to defend our transgender siblings from attempts to curtail their access to medical care, their bodily autonomy, and to the most basic human rights. Beloveds, these are dangerous dangerous times indeed, claiming violently the lives of the most vulnerable among us. Our battlefields are our communities. Our denomination has been answering the call of love for centuries. We will not stop now. Ours is a history of resistance Since 1977, when the Unitarian Universalist Association in Ithaca during General Assembly passed a resolution urging us all to affirm, defend, and promote the supreme worth and dignity of every human. And now, in 2023, a new manifestation is at hand. The US Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. The radical religious rights strategy to ban abortion is similar to the strategies being used to attack trans and queer people. And we are being called to advocate for just and compassionate laws, for family planning, for reproductive and sexual health, and for gender equity. Our Unitarian Universalist faith affirms that all of our bodies are sacred. Let me repeat that. Our Unitarian Universalist faith affirms that all of our bodies are sacred. We should have the power to decide what does and doesn't happen to our bodies at every moment of our lives because consent and bodily autonomy are holy. Beloved, it's a new manifestation is at hand, a new hour is come, and once again we are being called to action. We are being called to save lives, to resist and create alternative spaces in the face of oppression and fascism, to defend human rights and safeguard the bodily autonomy of all to bring healing to today's battlefields in our communities, to struggle alongside the most vulnerable among us. Into these modern-day battlefields filled with fear, terror, persecution, and death, we are called to bring faith, hope, and love. We are being called to protect, to bless, and make whole the bodies of women and trans people. Beloveds, may we honor all of the women warriors whose legacy of courage, dignity, and compassion still accompany us on this journey. May we honor them by living into our UU values and by answering the call of love. Amen and blessed be.